And now, a special announcement from your podcast host for 2020. Hola, mi gente. Bienvenidos a Cake y Kombucha. En honor de nuestros candidatos presidenciales ilustres, este podcast entero será en español. Me encanta la cosa español. Me gusta la salsa. Me gustan los mofongos. Me gustan los puertorriqueños. Es un verano hot girl. Elizabeth Warren a la presidencia. Es una kombucha con sabor a mojito. Y está muy rica. La recomiendo. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to give that special welcome in honor of the first Democratic presidential debate. Let's hear it for being bilingual. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. And I don't speak Spanish. If you were offended by that, so am I. I, I was offended. But we're going to get into all that. If you know anything about me, you know the podcast was late because I was watching the debates and I wanted to wait to talk to you about them because what else could there be to talk about? This is my... I couldn't even remember what it's called. Super Bowl, that thing. This is my Super Bowl. This is my playoffs. This is my Stanley Cup. This is where the action is, guys. Not only do we get to watch people, you know, sniping at each other and acting out and being a little ridiculous, being defensive, being calculating, putting on a performance of a lifetime. We also have the slight chance that our lives could be improved by the end of it, a little bit, if it turns out the way I pray to God, it turns out. So, I mean, the stakes are just so much higher than sports or drag race or, well, I mean, well, it kind of is a drag race, but like, how, how could we not all get into this? I mean, I don't, <laughs> you think you calling me a nerd, I'm calling you a nerd, get into it, okay? You're the one who's missing out because this shit was exciting. So I poured some wine and I, Got right into it. I was there for the pre-show, for the halftime, and 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 the uh, post, the the post show. I was here for all of it, and I'm here to deliver you a lot of thoughts. Um, it's hard to know where to begin. It's hard to know if I should just do like a reenactment because some of this stuff was so ridiculous, and some of it was actually moving. Very little was actually moving. Let me. Let's just start from day one. Okay, so night one, we had the candidates who were not as popular, not as highly ranked in the polls, and Elizabeth Warren. I don't know why they did that to my queen. I don't appreciate letting her just be amongst, you know, like she needed to be in the gifted and talented classroom, and instead she was kind of with the detention, I would I would call it. Like, it was annoying. I don't know how... Marianne Williamson got on night two, and she got on night one, Elizabeth. So I don't really know how that was decided. However, that's what it was. Now, as you know, there are 20 people running for president. I think there were more than that originally, but these are like the 20 people who are like statistically significant in any way. And so that's how they ended up here. I could sit here and tell you that I'm going to name all of them but I wouldn't lie to you. I'm not. I don't remember all their names. I took notes about things that stood out to me, but um, let, let's, let's just, let me get into my notes. You know what? With Google, all things are possible. Actually, what I'm going to do is we will, I will go down uh, my notes. <laughs> I'm laughing because they're really funny. Like, I just don't, 
And then we'll we'll go to like a lineup of who they are. I certainly don't remember all these characters' uh, backgrounds without looking it up. So I'm going to tell you like what I thought, and then I'll give you the background on who the person is, how they ended up running for president, um, in the cases that that is at all interesting. All right. So first impressions of Tulsi Gubbard. Well, my first impressions, literally, I typed. Initial thoughts are who dis. That's what I wrote. Just in general, who dis. I do, I was like, this is just way more random than I'd ever really imagined. Um, okay, Tulsi Gubbard, representative from Hawaii. She does not blink. She has a white streak in her hair. She definitely knows the pressure points to press on your neck to kill you swiftly and silently. That's what I wrote on my notes. Is she an X Men? That's um, that's what I have for her. She is a candidate who served in the military for years. She's still a major. She, I just got a lot of like, I'm going to kill you silently. But at the same time, she also doesn't, she's very against sending troops back into a meaningless war. So she had a lot to say about how she served in Afghanistan and was it Afghanistan? Yes, Afghanistan. And how she would just not send our troops. I mean, she basically said that, she did say that the troops were lied to. It was a compelling, it was compelling to hear someone actually serve and be proud to serve, but have criticisms of it. You don't really hear that a lot. Like you just hear old white men talking about how they did it and they are, you know, just as a point to a pride to like argue with each other about. And you almost feel like some of these people did it just so they could like run for office later. You don't hear, you don't get to hear stories about like the poor people that go, the minorities that go, how many African American, I mean, it's a tradition in African American families to serve. Our men do it so they can historically, so they could like leave and go to Europe and be treated better there. And, you know, but they have, you know, terrible, face terrible discrimination in the military. So you don't get to hear that whole like, yes, I want to protect my country, but you guys owe it to me to make sure what you're telling me to do makes sense. You don't get to hear that part. So it was very interesting to hear see someone like very militaristic in their affect and very serious and stoic. And you could see, you could imagine her being someone who's into like following orders and things like that. But she was, was like, look, the shit was not cool. It was traumatizing. This is what happened to me. People died. We were fighting for no reason. That was that was compelling, I have to say. And she's Samoan, and you know how I feel about Samoa. She practices Hinduism, so she'd be the first practitioner to uh, run for the office of president, I believe. And so, yeah, that that was her. Let's see. Next, I have typed in caps lock, very agitated. Who is Jay Inslee? I was not. I was like, who is he? So I'm texting back and forth with my sister, who's doesn't like men but like how how cute this old man is he has a nice chin he looks like a film star this these are things we talk about we were on a family thread and my mom was like this isn't a beauty contest I'm like actually it scientifically has proven to be a beauty contest I mean definitely attractiveness plays a large factor in running for office studies have shown this you know attractiveness charisma but as I am saying this out loud what about Donald Trump, Sarah Huckabee? How did that happen? I don't even say Sanders because I'm going to talk about Bernie Sanders later and I don't want even to associate their names together. It's unfortunate that they share a name. Um, 
Hmm. We'll put a pin in that for later. Perhaps someone, perhaps when you guys can tweet me or DM me and let me know how certain people get past that whole thing. Is it just money? I don't know. But anyway, this guy, he's from Washington State. He cares a lot about, I think, is, is he the governor of Washington? He cares a lot about the environment. He had some interesting things to say, but we decided ultimately that he was very much only all about the environment. He didn't really know a lot about, we don't see him, you know, doing a lot for intersectionality and really understanding much of anything that has anything to do with black people. I mean, I have been to Washington and yeah, I don't know that, I don't know that his Washington viewpoint is going to help the country as a whole with the demographics that the country has. However, I was, uh, you know, I was like, cool, there's someone I never heard of. Yeah, governor of Washington since 2013. And, um, you know, a good-looking 68-year-old. I don't really have anything else to say. Next, we will go to, okay, Klobuchar. I have Klobuchar is only fun when she's making a joke. Otherwise, she says, um, a lot. Yeah, Amy Klobuchar is very... She's very, very moderate. And I don't know how that comes off. Like I'm over all of that stuff, but like, I don't, I do want, I want big change. I want big structural change. Like Lizzie said, however, I I know there are people in the party who that is compelling to, and probably she is also trying to attract people who, you know, are not super left, but know that Trump is like a nutcase and it's just simply unprofessional and unsightly and unseemly to have someone as stupid as him running our country. It makes no sense. So there are people that are going to jump ship from this who even may have voted for him the first time. And I think she's trying to speak to those people. Um, Amy Klobuchar, a lot of you may have started paying attention to her for the first time. I know I did at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. She's the one that he got sassy with. And then she got, she had the one liner. She got to get her little one liners out. And I, from watching her just have this theory about her that she she speaks much better off the cuff. She is more personable when she's being sassy and salty. But when she has to just like talk about policy, it's very, you feel like you're being nagged or, oh, I guess that sounds gendered, right? Like if someone else said that, if a male commentator said that, that would be offensive. But I can say it. You just feel like you're being whined at. What do I know? Is that whiny? She's, I don't know. She just seems kind of bored. She just seems like she doesn't care that much about what she's saying. She seems like she's telling you a lot about what can't happen and can't, can't, can't because this is too far and this is too far and this is too far. And it's not like an exciting, like you don't, you don't feel like motivated. Like, so I think she's someone in the past who could have been like a sensible choice. But like, like we're saying, like this whole political system has been kind of and in a way, it's been blown up and not been blown up. It's been blown up because we have a completely trash person in office who's not doing anything remotely presidential with the office of president. But at the same time, like the connections to the same, you know, oligarchy of rich families and companies and corporations and banks, like that is still in place. So all of the rich bullshit is still in place. So I think we need someone to blow things up in that sense. We need someone who's kind of the opposite of what Trump is. And I don't know. I just don't think like, a okay, there's a Democrat. Like, that's how I feel about Klobuchar. I'm like, okay, you're a Democrat. That's what I feel about her. 
I will say that it's been interesting to have the people who, you know, are in Congress talk about like bills that they've passed and things that they've worked on. It was cool to see the difference between people who are, you know, in D.C., versus people who are like governors and mayors. And when I say interesting, I kind of mean messy because I'm messy. Because it was just fun to hear them be like, well, about the bill that I worked on, well, you wouldn't know because I actually do the things in the government, darling. Like they would keep bringing it up and just try to like contrast. Like I, since I actually know, some people actually pick up the phone for me since I know like how the laws get made. Like it, it was kind of funny to see them be like, you and your shit town, me in DC. That was just amusing to me. Okay, back to my notes. My next note is someone said they want trans women to have the right to choose abortions. Now, I didn't know who he was when I wrote this and rolled my eyes, but, and he turned out to have an amazing showing later, but Julian Castro, what, what is Julian Castro? Where, where, what does he do? He is from Texas. He is, he was the youngest member, member of President Obama's cabinet. He was the 16th United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and he was mayor of San Antonio until he joined the cabinet at, in 2014. He is 44 years old. He was the shortest person on the stage, and he had a booming, booming voice. He has a great timbre. I wrote that down. Oh, let me find out. Okay, he went to Stanford undergrad, and he went to Harvard Law. Okay, I see you. I see you, and ethnically, he is Chicano? Yes, his mother was a Chicano political activist. She helped establish La Raza Unida. Okay. Hey, hey. Yes, he is he's Mexican. Okay, so he now he turned out to be really really strong. I think he was someone who really made a name for himself through the debate. Like I didn't know he was running, didn't know who he was, and now I know about, you know, I Honestly, you know, but the the way HUD is going right now, like it means so much to me to just look back and see like the type of actual qualified people we used to have running HUD. I'm like, damn, HUD. Ooh, we may need to dip out the race and take it back over. But uh, yeah, so he, um, what did he say? He said everyone should have the right to choose abortions. And he said not just women. He said something like not and not just women, but trans women. And I was like, um, okay. So the reason I find this the, you know, we, I've talked about this with pride and the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and seeing the whole city covered in rainbows, which is great because visibility is great, but also at the same token, the fact that like many of these uh, places, they are have political ties or economic ties to organizations that do not contribute to LGBT rights, but in fact, you know, work to infringe LGBT rights. So it's just kind of like, you know, it's a little suspect, uh, but like it's what well, it's politics, right? Like the whole point is pandering. So when he said, and let me just include trans women, I so he must have meant like trans men because trans women can't get pregnant. But like, I, I, I don't know. I think it, the reason why it came off to me as, as cheesy is because you're just so eager to like include another part of the population in your conversation so that they can like like you for the name drop and vote for you that what you said didn't even make sense. 
it's just, it kind of highlights for me the fact that, A, this is a dumb format with having 10 people on the stage is way too many. And just, I just see the, how the sausage is made. I just look at it and I see the bones of the thing. I see all the prep backstage and all the like, I just imagine like, remember when you took your APs or whatever, I come from a certain type of real special nerdy uh, background where we used to play brain quest. I just imagine like flashcards and quizzing and cramming and like, that's what I think about when I see, when I hear some of the things they say. So I think it's so important. The people that can make things they say not sound rehearsed, you really do have a leg up. Now he didn't sound very rehearsed, but that was just like a dude, what are you talking about moment? But for the most part, he is an excellent speaker and he came verbatim over. He was like, look, I, we had a lot of this, both night one and night two. We had a, I'm the only this on the stage. I'm not going to be out minorityed by all of these white people. So we're going to, like, we're going to get to that. But it was just really funny because, yeah. So if you don't know yet why I started speaking in Spanish, it's, and you haven't seen the memes, it's because everyone started speaking in Spanish and, like, Julian Castro did it last. I guess he's like, I obviously speak Spanish. Like, I don't need to, like, prove it to you people. But it was just so comical. And we're, But we're going to get to Beto in a second. I'm not there yet. So next I have, after Julian Castro, um, I have, okay, Elizabeth Warren, still the only one who grounds everything she says in a plan and not an idea. And, you know, is it because we know her a little better now? I'm not sure. I mean, no. Like, we do know her better than these other people so far. But she also just the plans exist. Like that is, that is a thing. The plans exist and they don't for other people. It's really, really hard for me to listen to other people just talk about like what the democratic party should be like, what our values are, what, uh, what I'll do is I'll do take a, you know, Pete Buttigieg, which we'll get to after the break. Well, I'll go to night two, you know, just hear people talking about like, we're going to, take a hard look at why this is the way I'm like, I am, you would be so fun at parties. Like your ideas are great. What's your plan? What's your actual plan? How are you going to execute this shit? So yeah. So listening to Lizzie with the good plans, talk about what she would actually do and not just ideas and not freaking the bitch. She doesn't say, um, once I don't even remember what she taught in school. Was it English? But she just, Ooh, she has that English teacher energy and I love it. I live for it. I feel like she would help you with your elocution. She would help you with the speaking contests, essays. Like she does, she just doesn't skip a beat. And it's like with that fervor of when you believe what you say, when you really know what you're talking about and you believe it, it's kind of like the, the, the preparation you really have to do to like really do a scene well on camera, like camera picks up everything. You have to know exactly what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. And you, and you, when you know that and you really know the words by heart, you're just able to like exist. You can like just be. And she just has that like, I've spent this many hours thinking about this. I believe it in my soul. And so I'm able to talk about it effectively because I understand every part of what I'm saying and how it works and how it relates to other things. And I believe in it and I'm excited about it. And that like the preparedness mixed with the passion is just, it's just such an intoxicating combination. And that is what we want in a leader. <sighs> You know I could talk about her for a whole podcast, so I'm not going to. That's all I'll say about that. Um, next, we go into Cory Booker. Cory Booker, serious brown egg. That's what I wrote. I don't know what kind of spray tan he was wearing. Um, someone told me that it was Fenty 350, maybe, 350, 360. 
maybe with my television, but I just, I didn't know what was going on. A lot of foundation, a lot of, just a lot of something, just a lot of something. Um, looked like an organic farm raised egg. He is passionate. He is, he's fine. I don't dislike him. I just, I don't feel any excitement in my lady parts. Like I don't feel that, mm, that, mm. I just don't feel it. Um, but so he's trending now for the way that he looked at Beta O'Rourke. So, <laughs> so the next I wrote, the next thing I wrote after this was Beta O'Rourke, Spanish. I die, I die, I die. Okay, so the really painful thing was it became this Spanish dance-off. So Beto O'Rourke would be like, hola, yo soy Beto O'Rourke, basically. Like he would say, he would translate the first part of what he was going to say, the first part of an answer to a question. And yes, it was a question that had to do with immigration, which it's not like that doesn't make sense, but I just found it to be pandering in the sense that, you know me, I'm very like analytical and I'm just like, so if there are people watching that don't understand what you're saying in English and need to understand it because they want to pick a presidential candidate, don't they need to know all of your plans? Like, don't you have to say everything in Spanish? Why would it be efficient to only translate the first sentence of what you're saying? That's where my mind goes. I know it's literal, but that is what I thought was the first thing I thought. I was just like, but why? Secondly, they were tripping over their words. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It's just awkward and uncomfortable. I don't like hearing other people speak languages badly unless it's as a joke, like in my case. I, it's awkward. It just sounds so American and like I, I was just like cringing. Secondly, that was second. Okay, thirdly, um, yeah, I just, so it's like, so then what are we doing? If it's a symbol, is this point of it? Hey, I speak your language. I guess so then it's an act of solidarity. Okay, I, I, will, I can try not to be cynical and just take it as an act of solidarity. Like I'm showing you, you're seen, I see you, I know you're watching. But you know, last night when I went to go pick up uh, tacos, the debate was on at the, the hood spot near me in Spanish. So I mean, just like as an FYI, people can watch on the Spanish channel and like they can watch it with voiceovers. They can watch it with captions like, People are going to see it in the language they need to see it in. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's a symbolic gesture. Perhaps I should find Jesus and stop being mean and just appreciate it for what it is. And I did hear from some people whose parents only spoke Spanish that they felt they liked it. They felt they felt seen. So it was like I guess it was like the, you know, the equivalent of the black people had not. It was like, oh, what's up? But then it just became this Spanish dance off. Everyone was so geeked to get their Spanish out. They were like tripping over easy words. It was just awkward. Cory Booker is memeing now. Both the way him and Elizabeth looked at Beto O'Rourke when he started speaking Spanish, what they were just gagged because it sounded funny. It sounded like the guy on Sabido Gigante. You know, the guy that's like, Nostros comidas oatmeal, Quaker oatmeal. Like when, when you have like a really like American, like hard edge and you like switch back and forth, it was just comical. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you would have had to been there, but the shit was funny. Okay. Um, yeah. Julian Castro schooled him on immigration. I like how leftist people are getting. I heard some commentators on the New York times, uh, podcast, the daily state that this, the conversation has moved further left, way further left than it would have been in 2016, which I appreciate. And I like, we'll get to Marianne Williamson in a second, because she, you know, she is now 
being called a loon and trending across the internet. Although you heard it here first, folks. I've been doing the impersonations of her since before it was cool. However, I still think Julian had a very humanist take when he came to Beto Rook and said, um, no, I don't just want the people seeking asylum to, you know, not be sent away, like, or to have a path to citizenship. He said, all of them, like, not everyone seeking asylum. Boom. What are you going to do with that? Like, what does it take to see that even if you are not, like, in a war or you don't officially meet the standard of asylum, like, your life still matters because you're a human being that was seeking help and trying to escape from something. And he wanted to decriminalize. Oh, I don't think it was path to citizenship. He wanted to just like not make it a criminal offense for people, a criminal offense or a civil offense for people trying to cross. And he was like, no, I'm not talking about the same people that you're talking about. I'm not saying if this, if this, if they meet this qualification, if you're about to die, da, 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 then you can come over. He's just saying, if you, like, everybody needs help who would do this shit, so let's treat them all like people. I just don't want to criminalize this act. And I appreciated that because I really think we need to get to that point. I mean, when people talk about open borders, like, it's the worst thing ever. Um, open borders is how the fuck... America got here. Like, I don't really, I just don't understand the, the base that people have in their voice when they talk about these concepts that are like relatively new. If you think about it, America's new, they, it was stolen. That's how it happened. So when people speak in horror about like, what if everybody just came over? What if they did? Like, do you know how far it would have to get to the point where we like, don't have enough like space for people? I mean, Perhaps in New York City, like I could see New York City being an overcrowded place, but our country is vast and large. And there's just like, there's even lots of parts of it where nobody lives in, where like the population per square foot is like very, maybe that doesn't make sense per square foot. It's like, it's like a person, it's like one person standing here and then another person standing two feet away. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like there's like empty parts of America that we could build a whole fucking cult, a commune, whatever you want to. I just don't see us as lacking in space and resources. I see us lacking in generosity um, and like morals. So yeah, I'm not scared of the idea of an open border. I don't think I don't, you know, I'm vaccinated. Like I, I don't, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Like what you going to do? You're going to bring chicken pox. That's cool. I'll, I'll live through that. What are you going to do? Just like work really hard. And uh, what are people scared of? Like there's going to be more bodegas. I don't know what to do. Like just people coming to other countries and trying to make a living and live their lives. So stressful. I don't like the economy being bolstered by more people paying taxes into it. It's so terrible. Like, yeah, get a, get a fucking grip. Um, let's see. What did I say? Yeah, I just more notes about like, okay, do Latinos care about guns or accounting their health care? I guess not. We're only going to translate like the first sentence of our immigration arguments. And that was basically it. So for night one, um, Beto crashed. That was the takeaway. Elizabeth Warren shined, but she almost wasn't shiny enough for me. Like there just wasn't enough. Um, what? I guess there was too much noise, almost like there was too much noise for her to stand out maybe. 
it just wasn't like the f- platform of pushing her forward that I wanted it to be. There weren't any big fights. Oh, Bill de Blasio. I almost left him out because he was getting on everyone's damn nerves. Like, I didn't even, what are you even doing? Come fix the subway. I don't even know if I have anything else to say to you except for that moment. Ooh, I almost forgot. It was really offensive to me when he said, there was like the talk about police brutality came up and he said, as the only person on this stage that's raised a black male, I was just like, okay, there is another black man on the stage. That's rude. Are you going to try to suggest that you like knowing a black contributing to a half black man trumps Cory Booker, like living his whole ass life as a black man. So you had to give the talk to someone. Okay. Cory Booker lives the talk. He himself could go where I'm getting shot by the police at any given moment, even with his spray tan. I was just like his face when he said that, but he didn't have a clap back fast enough. I would just been like, excuse me, I'm black. You're not going to talk to me that way. Um, I think I know more about police violence than you. And I'm so glad there are all these resources on the internet for you to like have learned about how to give the talk to your son. And like, I'm glad you have a black wife to help you explain shit, but you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. Not today, not today, not on, not on this today. And that's exactly what Kamala did in part two. So we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with part two of my really profound, not at all opinionated or superficial analysis of the debates. Every woman deserves to like what she sees when she looks in the mirror. But when I did, I was constantly disappointed. I just had all these extremities, like toes. Why? That's when my friend mentioned Sexy Sculpt. She saw their ad on the subway car, which is a really solid way to choose a doctor and not at all sketchy. The doctors at Sexy Sculpt were so understanding. They explained to me about their super invasive outpatient procedure. It uses state-of-the-art technology with lasers. It's really fast and has a really long recovery time. I told them I always had a problem with my arms and my toes. I showed them exactly what I wanted and they got it right away. They cut them all off. Now, I'm the sleek, smooth, hot dog-shaped woman I've always wanted to be. Thanks, Sexy Sculpt. Okay, so we're back, and it's time to dive into night two. So night two of the debates, which was last night, it featured the bigger, the heavy hitters, the people that are polling um, at higher numbers, the people who are more famous, And it featured a few randos, too. Like I said, I definitely think Elizabeth Warren should have been on night two. I think they kind of sacrificed her. I don't know why. So for night two, we had Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Marianne Williamson, Bernie Sanders, and then three people who I can't remember. But one of them tickled the hell out of me. We're going to give our props to him. He's the the ginger that came in swinging from the corner. We're going to talk about him. Uh, Who are the other two people? Tim Ryan, who I I don't really know who he is. Let me look it up for you. I do remember he was annoying and kind of just a downer. Okay, bloop. No, I'm wrong. Tulsi Gubber came for Tim Ryan's neck on night one. He's night one. Okay, the other three people from last night were John Hickenlooper, Michael Bennett, and Eric Swalwell. We will probably not discuss Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, except to be shady. 
And Eric Swalwell, he's on the team. He definitely has a place in my cabinet. Um, yeah, I, I, he, he really, he made a good showing, an aggressive, fratty showing that I really appreciated. Okay, so let's get right into it. Where do we begin? Um, let's start with people that I like, but I was a little saddened by. Andrew Yang, he did not have a good performance last night. He, it's almost like his whole like tech background, just he had like a misfire. He's like, ooh, they gave me rules. I'm not going to like be aggressive and break out of them. I have to like measure my sentences exactly to the time they gave me. I just did, I was just so sad because he was so much more charismatic at, I went to his rally in uh Washington Square Park. I was, I'm an Andrew Yang fan. I donated $20 to his campaign. That's like a dinner, guys. Actually, with delivery fees, that's like less than a dinner on Seamless. So I meant it. He wants to have universal income. We've already talked about this. He's got great ideas. He's really smart. And to me, like he's kind of a one-track mind in, in terms of universal income fixes a lot of other things like giving people more disposable income or not having homelessness. It frees up their creativity. It frees up their ability to care about things like climate change, which he said very eloquently that part. It's like, yeah, if you think you're going to die tomorrow of, of starvation or like being robbed and stabbed on the street because you're sleeping outside or you have housing instability or food instability, it's hard for you to think about the climate, even though that is kind of the bigger picture. Like, yeah, if we have no earth, all of your problems are going to end because we're all going to die. But it's a harder thing to think about. So I love the way he connects things together. However, it was not working in this environment. It just wasn't working. He was kind of drowned out by all the crowd of people. And uh, yeah, he came off as very... People even kind of snickered at him because he was trying to explain something. And I'm just like, look, just because y'all are dumb and he did the math, you don't have to get an attitude because it sounds technical. And you're like, oh, 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 words are happening. Like, I was just like, relax and listen to what he's saying. And I even saw some people online saying like, yeah, right, $1,000 a month. Like, he tried to tell you how. So, I mean, you either want money or you don't. I don't know what to tell you. Like, do you want someone to give you money or do you not want someone to give you money? I, I, I circle back to this a lot. I'm just like, what do you guys want? Okay, so... John Hickenlooper, again, not going to talk about him yet. Let's get some people out the way before we get to the bigger moments. Okay, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, he's, again, another one-track mind. He's very focused on, like, burning everything down to the ground. He's your crotchety old grandpa. I like him. Y'all know I'm a com that, that bitch. I'm a little combative. I like the sass. I like the arguing. I was tickled when people said name two things that like you would do to improve the country. He said, I reject the premise that there are two things. I said, if you don't reject that premise, go head on. However, as you guys might, I, I think I have spoken here. I try not to talk about him too much because I just want Elizabeth Warren to win. She's like a better version of things that he proposes. But you know, he has demonstrated he doesn't really understand intersectionality. And like some of these guys are just too old to think they're ever wrong and to take criticism. Joe Biden, we'll get to that. And so I just kind of am over him in that sense. And I think there's just better out there. There's just better out there for me. He's not my he's not my flavor of the month. But like, do I appreciate his calling himself a socialist? Do I appreciate him just being like, fuck all y'all, fuck all of this, fuck Wall Street? Absolutely. 
I appreciate some subversive ass shit, okay? So, you know, we appreciate you, Uncle Bernie. And you definitely have like a lot of good ideas and things. And I appreciate him opening the door. Like I will say that his movement, um, oh God, almost four years ago, it opened the door for these kinds of conversations. Um, universal income and things like that are sounding more palatable, as I've mentioned now. Not palatable, but they're sounding more like normal. Like we've moved as as far as Trump has moved to, like the conversations to the right, I feel like the democratic conversation has moved to the left and that's where it needs to go. And several people said that. They're like we don't need to be scared of these things. We need to be the party that's for, you know, Medicare for all, how they're describing it. And we need to be, you know, kind of outrageous and bold and stand for these big ideals and and stop trying to be all mealy-mouthed and in the middle. So a lot of people said that. And then you had Michael Bennett, who's got no lips that I can see. Like, I've never quite seen anyone's lips be that inverted. I was just like, what, what's, what's going on? Him and John Higginlooper, they kind of kept saying, like, we need to not be socialists because that's scary to the party and it sounds ridiculous and it turns things off from people. And I was just like, bold ideas, bold ideas. I want bold ideas. I did like when John Hickenlooper, he is, was he governor of Colorado, I believe? And he mentioned, you know, how, if you guys don't know about this, look it up because it's fascinating. I spent like a couple weeks in Colorado, visited a friend that works in the school system and maybe not the school system, but I think she works in, in healthcare, not-for-profit, education, educating kids in the school system. But they, the way they have turned around their um, sexual health programming, they like, I feel like they, they dropped teen pregnancy by like more than half. It was just staggering. And so they're one of those states that has really shown like, hey, if you really tell kids like what a penis and vagina is early enough and give them proper resources because they're going to have sex anyway. And I'm, I'm injecting all my own opinions into it. Basically the program was awesome and he did a lot of impressive stuff with that. So again, like I said, I do enjoy kind of learning more about other states and what's going on there politically. And I, and I would have never thought of these, you know, local politics at a local level in these examples. And so that is one interesting thing about these debates. Okay. So moving on to Marianne Williamson. I mean, people think she's crazy. I I don't think she's crazy. And maybe I'm crazy. I'm like, have you never read a self-help book? Nobody else likes crystals. Like she didn't sound crazy. She just sounded like someone that goes to Reiki a lot. I don't know. This is Oprah's spiritual advisor. If you don't know, she really believes in reparations for African-Americans, both in a like sociopolitical manner, kind of like just very basically, she was like, if you've been kicking someone in the face for 200 years, you deserve to like give them a hand and like stop kicking them, like help them up the floor and stop kicking them. Very simply put, the the whole idea of that, like it's not equality that we need, but equity, like you don't just stop what you were doing and things jump to being even. We need equity. We need things to be restored that were taken away before you can start saying that there's any kind of an even playing field. So that is, that's what she meant by that. But she was also saying in a kind of a soul level, like y'all are evil and you need to stop. She said that about the children in cages with no toothpaste, which I don't even... I don't, we'll probably talk about that next week when there are more developments, but like she calls out evil that is going on, but she just has a voice. She talks like this. 
I, you guys have a lot of great ideas, but ideas are not going to change things. What's going to change things is love. He's preaching hate. We need to preach love. And you know, it's not what people are used to hearing. However, just remember how wacky Trump sounded when he first started and it sounded like a joke. I'm just saying, when, when I learn something once, I don't like to forget it, okay? So if you move my paradigm shift, to give me a paradigm shift, you move the bar for things, I'm not going to pretend like the bar is where it was before. I don't like doing that. I like to learn from, I'm a, a student of like my environment. So I'm just saying, some weird shit has happened. Some weird shit could happen again. It could. What if we need this nigga's chakras aligned? What if that is what we need, okay? What if... Marianne would just come out and Trump is all being blustered. And she's like, woo, woo, woo. Mm, and starts like bringing some, you know, when you have the glasses half full of water and starts doing sound therapy. Like what? And then he just like falls asleep or something. Or she hypnotizes him and he's like, I'm retiring. I'm just saying we could, we could use her energy. I would, I'm not throwing it out that like a self-help person can be, can be a it was awkward seeing her on stage and everyone else has a title like senator 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 governor and then it was like ms williamson and i was like oh god just call me queen darling i would literally make up a title i'd be like duchess of where you're american i don't care i'm a duchess so she has she's just getting dragged through the internet she did have an unflattering moment where she said the first thing she would do as president We'll, we'll be call the president of New Zealand and say, hey, girlfriend, we are back. But here's the thing. If you guys don't remember, the president of New Zealand is like a 38-year-old woman or something like that. So, I mean, I saw what she was doing there. She was appealing to like this like young female energy. And, and the president of New Zealand is also the woman who like changed the gun laws like the next day after like the one like New Zealand shooting that, I mean, cause other countries don't have shootings all the time like we do. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I saw where she was going with that. And again, maybe it's cause I'm prepped prime and ready. Maybe it's because I am a student of the school of Oprah. I already know who she was. I know she's Oprah's spiritual advisor and Oprah's my spiritual advisor. So like, you know, like she can't be all bad. I'm just kidding. She's not my spiritual advisor, but she's a, she's a boss bitch. So, you know, I don't like seeing her get dragged, but she, I still think she had a strong showing in that she interjected. You remembered who she was, even though they asked her 0.0 questions. Like they really were not trying to evenly divide the questions. They, they, the, 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 the moderators said, this is MSNBC. They said like, we're going to, we're not going to get to everybody on every question. But they also should have said, we're also just not going to ask people some questions if we don't care what you think that much because you don't matter. So, the, so it wasn't that like everyone got different questions for them. People would just get asked about stuff kind of in proportion to how much they've been in the press and because how much they've been in the press, you know, directly relates to how many scandals they've gotten into, how many quotes they have, how many like unflattering opinions that they've shared that they need to revise on the spot. So it was kind of like if you're you're already famous, you're going to get more attention type deal. So the people who are the underdogs, you do have to kind of butt in there. All right. Now let's get to my least favorite people list. I mean, I don't hate Joe Biden. I don't feel about him the way I do about Pete Buttigieg, but I'm going to do last for him. So Pete Buttigieg. 
He was smarmy as usual. I don't believe anything you're saying. You have been running for president since you were five. I know you. I've been in class with people like you. Your hairline bothers me. Everything about you bothers me. Um, I wish you would glue your ears to your head. Like I, you're, I'm no longer, you can call me Marianne because my intuition has been flaring for so long in my life and I am in the fullness of my witch powers and I'm not going to pretend that I don't know shit anymore. I know that you are full of it. I know this. I feel it in my soul. You can't tell me otherwise. I'm not saying like you're evil, but you are full of shit. Okay. So that said, we all know about the horrible situation going on in South Bend, which is just like, dude, were you even allowed to I'm going to say this right now. There's some filming going on inside my house. I don't, the noise today is just, it's also a different day. So maybe like this is what Friday is like and I don't pay attention, but I'm sorry. Anyway, South Bend, it's like, are you even allowed to be? Okay. The cars are losing their shit because the street is blocked up. South Bend, are you allowed to be here? Like, shouldn't you be at work at your day job taking care of that? Like what's going on? So there's an officer involved shooting and he had the most practiced, response to it of course they asked him about it and how you know the police shot and killed someone who had a knife isn't that a quote don't bring a knife to a gun show because the black man brought a knife to the gun show and he died so are we gonna when are we gonna stop acting like you need to de-escalate a situation where someone has a knife by killing the person and they're almost always mentally ill because again you don't bring a knife to a gun show like Someone that would like approach you and start brandishing a knife when you have guns is probably a little crazy, but they always end up dead. That's what we do in America. We kill on sight, even if you're carrying candy to black people. So this was bungled and a police force that has, it's like 26%. uh, The town is 26% black, but the police force is like 6% black or less, I believe. And this is after the whole issue where the chief of police had to resign after he, who was black, after he found racist recordings, people, you know, calling him nigger and this and that. And then he was forced to resign and basically asked to by Pete Buttigieg because it's like illegal to like, the the recordings were not admissible or something. Completely bungled, completely bungled. You need to go home. You need to just not be here. So he gave this trite apology and it was you know just memorized to me he's not good at speaking authentically he says why hasn't it happened I wasn't able to get it done when people are like why you know isn't police force better what's going on I wasn't been I wasn't able to get it done I wasn't able to get it done but I'll tell you something and then he just starts talking about how institutional racism is bad and in just very vague terms like is institutional racism why this guy got shot? In that case, then it should be very clear that you need to fire the police, like fire everybody and start over. So stop. you can't just pander to us if you don't take the actual measures legally and you know legislatively that you need to change something. So I was like very confused. I was just, it was just like, so you're just going to sit back and be like, man, racism, it's really not good. It's, a, it's not a good thing. Why the hell should you be my president? I'm sorry. Aren't you supposed to be able to do something to fix things? Like, 
this is how you demonstrate what you're good at. And like people have from South Bend have been saying from jump, the poor people, the black people that you didn't do shit for them. So I was just lost. I was like, is this supposed to mean anything? Like words, 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 words. You're just saying words. And guess who called him out? My favorite ginger of the evening. He, his name is Eric Swalwell, who is a representative from California. But what does he actually do? Yes, Representative Eric Swallow of California. Yo, he brought that fire, okay? It was like, he was just so fratty and aggressive, but I guess he was like a frat boy from like California or like Colorado, like a liberal, like pot smoking frat boy that's like listens, will tell you that he like listens to a lot of Snoop Dogg and grew up on it and is like not racist and is down with the, down with the blacks. I mean, that's actually happened to me. So he would just keep interrupting him. Like, so after Pete gave his meaningless, Eric was like, okay. Oh, I forgot to mention this detail. So the body cam of the police officer that shot this black man was off. Of course, because of course we literally have cameras to track what we're doing for instances like this. So we'll just turn them off and kill people, but we'll turn them off because we know that we can and nothing's going to happen to us. People keep doing stuff like this because they know that nothing happens. That's why they keep doing it. So when we talk about structural change. So anyway, Eric Swallow was like, (laughs) the one you fire the chief of police, bra. Okay, he didn't say bra. But in my mind, he's forever said bra after everything. He didn't fire him. He didn't do, he had his camera off. Why didn't you fire him? Why didn't you do what you're supposed to do? Why didn't you fire him? Pete just looked at him like, if you don't shut. Like, because there's no answer to that. You're just still investigating, investigating, investigating. Police can fucking like go to, they can probably just pull a fucking Louis CK and go to work and ejaculate on people's desks and shit. Like they can, it seems like the bar to getting fired is non-existent. I do not understand it because the regular fear, the fear that regular Americans live in of going to work on time. And they, I mean, the way that my bold ass acts, it's only because I have like two careers and I'm very much like, I need my flexibility. I need to be able to come and go like, da, 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 da. like do what I need to do to get shit done. Like with my day jobs, I am, a, I'm reckless, but like normal, usually you just have to do shit that you don't want to do and you have to do it correctly. I do not understand this. I don't get it. <sighs> the bar is on the floor, man. It's below the floor. So anyway, Eric was just like, um, cool story, brah. Cool story, brah. Why didn't you fire him, brah? And I was just like, I'm dead. I'm dead. It was so aggressive. I was like, you just better bring that. Just, yes, let's fight. Keep that same energy. I'm here for it. So I have nothing else to say about Pete. I think that his polling will go down and that will speak for itself. But um, Eric also came for Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden, he was like, in 1998, Eric, <laughs> Joe Biden said it was time to pass the torch. Da, 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 da. So I agree with him. It's time to pass the torch. So he just kept screaming, pass the torch at older people. Pass the torch. Pass the torch. (laughs) I was dead. Like, wow, you're so disrespectful. But he wasn't like obnoxious when he talked about things he'd done in his state. It was actually quite um, impressive. Oh, everybody dragged Pete, by the way. John Hickenlooper was like, who's like sour scientist grandpa. Like, I'm a scientist. I understand climate change. And he was just like, 
Uh, let me tell you all the things that we did about police brutality. We have like a community led like justice board that reviews things. We have this and that. I don't know why everyone didn't do that. We did that before Ferguson and you're five years after Ferguson acting like ass. And I was like, damn, just drag, drag each other, white people, drag. So then they started, you know, doing, you know, they're doing this back and forth, back and forth. Then Kamala Harris she has not been given time to respond to this at all. And she says, excuse me, as the only, excuse me, excuse me, as the only black person on the stage, I would like to speak. And I was like, and I was like, yes! That was my actual reaction. Yes! So, like, a lot of African Americans, we feel conflicted about her. And we'll get into that later. Well, I say, I might save a little bit of time at the end just to talk about Kamala since she's come out on top. But first, let me talk about this little exchange. Again, it was very reminiscent of the moment the night before when Bill de Blasio tried to out-black Cory Booker. She had to kind of be like, hey, hi, I'm here. We, um, yeah, like, if you thought you were going to talk about blacks without including me, you're wrong, not on today. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm a Negro. Like, hello. It was so funny. It was just really funny. And I love that that's where we are. Because you do more know more about that than anyone else. You do. It's your lived fucking experience. So she she talked about police brutality. She said, my brothers, my cousins, like no black man I know hasn't been pulled over, hasn't been stopped, and doesn't live in this fear. And then she said, and on that topic, I would like to talk to you, a certain Mr. Joe Biden. Love your president. Love him. Love him. We get along great. Beautiful daughters, gowns, beautiful gowns. However, you voted against busing. And guess who was a little girl who waited at the bus stop to integrate the second public integrated school in California? That was me. And I was like, damn, because I don't, what is she, like 50 or less than 50? Like, I don't, that's kind of sad if you think about that timeline. But so Joe, she called Joe Biden out because he voted against mandating in busing, which busing is what integrated schools. It brought children from neighborhoods that they did not, you know, to schools that did not were in different neighborhoods than they lived in. And that's how the schools are integrated. Now, Joe failed. He failed this on every account. He was super defensive. He was indignant. He and his argument was like moot. He said that's a total mischaracterization of what I did. It really wasn't. He voted against mandating that the school board uh, mandate busing. Let me put that better. It's confusing because he made it confusing. So he basically said like, yes, busing is a thing that should happen, but he voted against forcing the schools to do it. He said he left it to the states. Uh, what, what black person does that not make want to run away and hide in terrorists? We're going to do states' rights for integration. We're going to let states figure things out for themselves. Hmm, when's the last time that worked out really well? I'm really confused. Like, and Kamala literally was like, um, yeah, duh, but in history, many times over, the government, uh, you know, states fail to do what is right through the, throughout the course of history, and that's why the federal government steps in to give them a little... Nudge, nudge, push, push, kind of like ending slavery, things like that. I was floored that he, it was just so weird that he, A, thought this was a meaningful distinction at all, 
you just said, I'm just let the racist decide on a case by case basis whether they want their, you know, black people to drink the same water and touch the same number two pencils as their kids. Huh? Who does that help? And she just stayed on him and she looked very like sad, like she was about to cry. And it was just like, I don't know if it's something she talked about before, but I'd never heard it before. And it was very compelling. I mean, okay, because like, come on, Ruby Bridges. So Joe just kind of was like, my whole career has been about civil rights. I became a public defender, not a prosecutor. Blah, 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 blah. It was just like that dude at the bar who's like yelling at you about how he's a feminist and like talking over you. It's, you know, when the commentators kind of dragged him after too on the news, the pundits are like, it is improbable that if you've been working in the government for like 185 years, like you brag about all the time, that you've never done anything wrong. So like you've obviously made a mistake before. It's just, it lacks so much grace to not say, you know, looking back, I obviously believed in busing, but I thought at the time the right thing to do would be to leave that decision to the school district because of the discord it caught. I mean, I don't know. Every reason afterwards would be like corny, but you, that's what you did. And it, it's very clear the consequences of not mandating this thing that needs to be mandated. And she also mentioned, pat, you know, the palling around with segregationists. And, you know, it's weird because he's Joe Biden has a lot of prominent black people working for his campaign who stepped out to say that his words were being misconstrued when he said that, you know, I worked with such and such asshole. I don't even remember their names. And they never called me boy. And let me tell you, back in the day, we were able to get things done. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. Don't ever say back in the day anything to me. Unless you're talking about the 90s and R&B music, I don't want to hear it. As a black woman, I don't want to hear about how anything was better back in the day. You can just keep it. You can just keep it, shove it all the way somewhere that I don't even need to name. I'm over all of this make anything great again back in the in the civility. Da, da, da. Like it's you don't realize the privilege that you have when you say, oh, I, I know how to talk to people and they listen. Well, guess what? Kamala might be able to talk to people and have them listen too. Cory Booker might be able to talk to people and have them listen. Maxine Waters might have been able to talk to people and have them listen. Those people, those segregationists you're talking about would not have listened to those people because they were black. They would not have been allowed in the room. They would have not been allowed at the restaurant after work to have Washington Burger. What were those burgers on Scandal? <laughs> what was that place called? Oh man, I don't remember, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, so <sighs> I knew what he meant and he was trying to give an analogy that was the point of the point of the analogy was I can get together with people I don't have the same beliefs with, with unseemly people, and we can work together in Congress, et cetera, because that's what we have to do. We can get laws passed, like I know how to tame the wild beasts, whatever, whatever. That was his point. And however, he's still going rogue. He's going rogue because his advisors told him not to use the names of those two men he did. Those men he named were virulently racist. They they were not not only believed in segregation, but they had like some writing that was like eugenicist about how just black people like weren't human and stuff. They really, I mean, which makes sense. I mean, you have to believe that to think that people should be separated, right? Like why else should people be separated? Like it doesn't really, if you really think about it, like it doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, it has to come from someplace like that. Like I think we sometimes just take things like back in the day, 
you know, when you watch like racism light movies like Green Book and like this, like they weren't allowed to stay in certain hotels and people were mean and they couldn't drink from the same water fountains. But when you really deeply, deeply think, just take a moment and think about why you would feel like humans can't do stuff together. Like obviously you don't think one of those groups is humans. It's dogs that you make sleep outside. Dogs have a separate entrance to your house, right? So I'm just saying that because I feel like sometimes we just, we don't really absorb the impact of all the underlying beliefs underneath these systems that we are like, oh, that was a long time ago. And you know, it was just mean. No, like you, you have hate and you are a, a creep. And if those men were born, you know, in Germany, they'd probably be like Nazi scientists or something like this is real. This is America. This is our legacy. This is what people, you know, some people's grandparents and shit thought. And this is why people don't like to talk about this shit, but it's real. It's real. So anyway, the privilege to not really grasp that you have a privilege to be able to negotiate with these people because you are white. Like you could just say, because I'm an old white man and they're an old white men, they respect me. I can get shit done because I'm an old white man too and I speak old white men in ease. You could just say that. And if you don't understand how that comes off, okay, that's A, number one. B, then someone explains it to you. But then instead of listening, you just say, I fight for civil rights. I love the blacks. I worked with Obama. I don't care who you worked with. You're not understanding a couple things or you wouldn't have said what you said. So I don't like this defensiveness. It was, it's the same defensiveness as like, well, I'm going to touch you if I want to because I'm a jolly rancher elf and I need to make the world a better place by squeezing buttocks. I don't think he really, what did he do? Kissing. I'm going to kiss you on the mouth before your speeches because that's what you need to get shit done. It's unattractive. It looks, the optics are really, really bad. And he needs to stop. I, I'm over this. And it just made him look so starkly, like so old. It just made him look unfit to me. It just made him, you know, and to some people, again, maybe the older and whiter you are, the more fit it makes you are. But for our purposes as a Democratic Party, I was just like, this is not right. This, this needs to stop. So Kamala won the night. She had a lot of one-liners. She dragged a lot of people. She said at one point, the American people want, they want a food fight. They want the food like she basically told everyone to shut up because they were talking over each other and it was like annoying, which is what we were all thinking. But I will say like, she's intelligent. She, she can, you know, people called it that prosecutorial. I'm like, give me the prosecutors. Cause those are some of the only people I want to hear speaking. I don't want to hear all this mumbling jumbling. I want to hear you deliver, know that you can like think off the cuff and say things like it's just so much more compelling. However, do I trust her? Not really. Do I think she's bringing anything like super revolutionary to the table? Not really. I'm looking for like an overhaul. I'm not looking for like some tweaks to some things. And I think that she is very much, you know, playing both sides of trying to be a moderate Democrat and then trying to jump into some left things, some lefty sounding things also. So I still don't trust her. And you know, the issues that black people have had with her remain. A lot of people say she used to call herself an Indian American. She didn't claim blackness, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. She pledged AKA, um, which is a historically black, you know, sorority, as we all know. To me, 
being that you're from two immigrant cultures, Jamaican and Indian, I could easily see you trying very hard to distinguish yourself from African-American. Like there, it would be completely unsurprising to me if she grew up hearing all kinds of vitriol against African-Americans, if she grew up thinking that they're like criminals and whatever. And when she grew up to become a prosecutor, just was like, oh, it's never Jamaicans and Indians that I see in here for these crimes. So like, why can't, you know, these people in America that have everything handed to them get their shit together? Like she was not doing things that helped us criminal justice wise. She was on the wrong side of the criminal justice system, which is already completely skewed against us. And so that's the issue that people have with her. There's nothing revolutionary going on there. So this did not make me a huge fan of hers. Um, It just was fun to watch. Everybody needs to be held accountable for everything. Everybody can get dragged. Just a gentle dragging. Again, we don't need anything like 2016 where the Democratic Party is coming for each other so hard that then the candidate doesn't even look palatable when they're up against the Republican candidate. That was a very mismanaged situation uh, four years ago, almost four years ago. So, I mean, for the most part, when you watched it, you were like, yeah, people are kind of saying the same things. They're swiping at each other. But, you know, you didn't look at it and think, like, you'd be screwed if anyone was president, even Marianne Williamson. That is my opinion. So before I let y'all go today, this has been a long one, I think. You know, I actually don't know until I edit it, but I think. So one of the things that was talked about a lot was healthcare. I'm having Medicare for all, and people kind of came at Bernie Sanders again with like, the, it's a crazy socialist thing, because he admitted that he would make private health insurance illegal. Now this contrasted with a lot of people who said, They would give an option for people that didn't have health care, that couldn't afford it, but you'd be allowed to keep your private health care if you want to because everybody should have the opportunity to choose, to choose, to choose, to choose. And so once I listened to people say something over and over again, I started to kind of like turn around in my mind and I was thinking, who has the right to choose their health care, right? Only the people who can afford it. So the people who can't afford it will never be able to choose anything, and then I was like, hmm, so then is it really a choice? Is it really choice if you leave an old system that some people weren't able to buy into anyway? Is that choice or is that kind of exclusion? So it started to sound a little bit more kind of just like pandering to, I'm not going to say the rich. I mean, I have healthcare. I'm not rich, you know, not pandering to the employed. I want to say to the status quo, to keeping things the way they are. It just, it started to read like, we're scared to really tell you that we might create a world in which you don't live better than other people. And so I started to think, as Americans, can we really imagine not having huge income stratification Do we like the idea that some jobs like McDonald's pay really low? I think we do because people acted so bitchy about minimum wage being, you know, for McDonald's being 15. Like they were like, that's what you make if you do this. So it shouldn't be paid to people at McDonald's. I'm like, 
don't you just, I mean, at least the very least, wouldn't you just want all the pay rates to go up instead of complaining that certain people are going to be able to pay their bills now? It sounds a little bit bitchy. So, well, yeah, are we attracted to the idea that we can pay for better than other people have? Or would we be okay with just having a good standard of living for everybody? Are we even able to imagine that? Because when I really started to think of why Bernie Sanders think would make, in his plan, private health care illegal, and I, I'm not sure if he really meant illegal like you're going to go to jail, but just or he just meant like it wouldn't exist, or I think they might have pushed him into a corner of saying illegal a little bit. I, would, I, I want to parse it a little bit more. But when I really started to think about it, I was like, hmm, maybe there is, maybe I do understand that. Maybe I do understand the rationale for not just you know, making, modifying something, but eliminating it. You know, let's, it's something, if we really believe that a system is predatory towards poor people, that it disenfranchises people, then why don't we make it illegal? Everyone on the stage is talking about how the companies and Kirsten Gillibrand, who I haven't mentioned, mostly because I sometimes get confused if it's Gillibrand or Gillibrand. She said, we need capitalism that works. She's so sprightly and she's like teacherly, but not in an authoritative enough way. And I, I feel like I am a detail person and I'm getting bogged down. So I feel like I can be like the canary in the coal mine with like, no, this isn't going to be received, girl. People are like, what? It's too detailed oriented. We get it. You've, you've had a lot of government experience, done a lot of stuff. We understand. But she said, you know, these company, big pharma is taking advantage of this and da-da-da is taking advantage of this and we need capitalism that works. Well, what if it doesn't work in these instances when it comes to people's health, right? Which is, we some people would concede a human right. You know? So then, yeah, why don't we make it illegal? What if we don't just modify the fuck out of things that we have railed against? What if we say... They are illegal because they hurt people. Why is that revolutionary in America? Why are we so scared to let go of systems that we say don't work? We just want to tweak, 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 tweak. It makes sense from an economic standpoint that if you were to have Medicare for all, you would make private insurance illegal because if there was an insurance system where that people were being paid more, where it costs more, then the best doctors would go to that and it would affect the care that other people are getting. But if everyone buys in and I'm doing air quotes around buys in because I don't mean buys in with money since it's free, but I mean buys in in terms of in, in terms of investment emotionally, like you have to use the healthcare system, including the rich, then it would be better because rich people don't let themselves get treated shittily. There would, wouldn't be competition for it to, you know, and then just leave like the the scraps for the free system and give all the the good perks and the private visits from the doctor to your house and stuff like that for the rich people. So yeah, I I was just left wondering how is it a right to choose your health insurance, but it's not a right to have health insurance. So what is the right that we think people have? Because they kept saying it, you know, we have a right to choose, we have a right to choose, but do we have a right to have it? And if so, do we have a right to have it be top quality for everybody? So those were the things I was left of thinking. And to close out, I'll say that 
Kamala Harris is now selling a That Little Girl Was Me t-shirt with her face on it as a nine-year-old looking person with a one long baby hair down the center of her forehead and pigtails. Do I need to say anything about how tacky it is to have a shirt ready to go after your moment that looked heartfelt and teary-eyed? I don't think I do. Okay, that's it for your politics review for this week. There's some other news stories that I wanted to cover, but this has gone on long enough, so I'm going to hurry up and get this out to you since it's late. Thank you for listening to episode 31, and I will holler at you next week where I'll try to fit in some of the stuff we missed. Stay cool and stay classy, San Diego, New York. I mean, maybe some listeners are in San Diego. Bye! Cake and Kombucha is produced, hosted, edited by Kelechi Azia. It is recorded on location in New York City. It features music by Melanie J.B. Charles. For more info on her music, check out MelanieJBCharles.com. 